Salo Falava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. Following discussions with our General Secretary, I have tendered my resignation from Parliament with immediate effect. Frank Bainimarama quits Fiji's Parliament following her suspension. Was this unexpected? Also, we are there to answer to their, uh, to their needs and to the assessment they made themselves about the situation. The New Caledonian Army Forces pitches in to help Vanuatu rebuild. And later on... The Pacific Island countries' economies are particularly dependent on their tuna resources. The New Zealand government forms partnership with the Pacific to save the region's declining tuna stocks. An expert on Melanesian politics says the resignation of former Fiji Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama from Parliament signals the end of his political career. The former coup leader turned PM held onto power for more than 16 years before losing to a coalition of parties in the election last December. Baini Marama's resignation comes shortly after he was suspended from Parliament for three years for making seditious comments as leader of the opposition. In his resignation speech, he rubbished the suspension, but said he would remain the leader of his Fiji First Party and would spend more time in local communities across the country. But a professor in comparative politics at the Victoria University of Wellington, John Frankel, says the sun is setting on the political career of one of the most dominant figures in Pacific politics in the past two decades. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with Professor Frankel and began by asking him if his resignation was unexpected. Uh, not altogether. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's not clear whether when Bainimarama made this speech in Parliament denouncing the president and denouncing the uh, well, uh, making appeals to the rank and file of the military to uphold the 2000 Constitution. These were very provocative remarks. Um, one suspects that he uh, said these things in the heat of the moment rather than expecting to be uh, suspended in the way that he was. Um, he's clearly a very angry man. Um, but and that now with three years out of Parliament, it probably doesn't seem to be much point in him retaining that seat given that uh, it's a four-year electoral cycle. But I think there's more. I think, I think some of the steam has gone out of Bainimarama's attacks against the government. He sounds a little bit more like a, a defeated man in this uh, latest press conference, um, uh, not quite as belligerent, uh, trying to put a sort of brave face on things, I think. Yeah, yeah. I guess it, it is... The practicality of it makes sense. And, and he has said that, you know, I'm going to spend time with the people. I'm going to, uh, this is what I'm going to be doing while I'm outside of parliament. Is this him kick-starting campaigning for the next election already, in your view? Uh, I think unlikely. I mean, he's getting on a bit. I think, I think uh, we're beginning to see Fiji first, uh, well, at the very least, transition into something else. Uh, but I suspect that... Um, uh, the game is up, and uh, Bainimarama is not going to be able to uh, offer a concerted challenge to the um, People's Alliance government coming from opposition in four years' time. It seems very unlikely that he can hold together Fiji First in that way. After all, Fiji First, it's not, it claims to be not a party but a movement, but it's never really been either a movement or a party. It's never tried to establish local branches or doesn't want to contest local elections. It's, uh, it's, a, it's been a, 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 an organization totally rooted in the state. 
already we've seen a couple of ministers, um, former ministers, uh, resign rather than taking a place on the um, opposition benches. And we may see more of that in future. Uh, I, I think it's likely that the parliamentary uh, Fiji First Party will start to uh, have different kinds of relationships with government uh, and will not be as coherent as it perhaps was under the previous two terms. Now, where does this... Where does this, like, I guess, how, how does this, now, nah, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, in, in relation to the coalition government of Sitiveni Rambuka, what, would this be a victory? Would this be a, a triumph? How would you see this being taken? Uh, I'm not sure if it's, uh, victory is the right word. Uh, I think they, um, I, I think the, uh, the fact that Biden Rama himself has resigned uh, makes it much more difficult for him to put pressure on constitutional office holders not to resign. Uh, one notes also that members of his family have been resigning, for example, from the Sports Council. Uh, his um, um, uh, brother-in-law, uh, uh, Francis Keane, has resigned as police commissioner. Uh, we have yet to hear the um, prisons? police commissioner. Is it prisons commissioner? Was he commissioner? Sorry, did I, say, oh, did I, say, I meant to say, sorry, I just got about two hours of lecturing. I meant to say prisons commissioner, yes. We, we've yet to see whether um, uh, Giliho, the police commissioner, uh, resigns. Um, uh, the supervisor of elections, of course, has resigned as well. So we are seeing uh, 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 major changes and a, a shift away from the uh, Fiji First Order. And I think, I think clearly a lot of this comes in the wake of the, uh, both the military commander and the president who were both quite closely associated with Biden Rama, having realized that it's time to call it a day and move away from the, uh, uh, the years of Fiji First governments dominated by Biden Rama. Briefly, if we can talk about the coalition government and its, its, its behavior since becoming, becoming government, what kind of a Fiji is being unfolded or unveiled before our eyes in terms of the coalition government and Sitiveni Rambuka? Well, there's been a lot of uh, uh, festivities, a lot of welcome ceremonies, a lot of salas-salas, a lot of going to, from place to place, from Fiji Broadcasting Corporation to the various ministries, um, with people talking again and feeling perhaps a little bit less scared to speak out, uh, a more open atmosphere. But they've got budgetary difficulties, severe budgetary difficulties. A lot of debt was piled up during the COVID era with the collapse of the tourism industry. And that does put a constraint on what can be done. We're only two months into the new government, so I think most of what's happened so far has been sort of transitional stuff. Uh, we've yet to see what their uh, longer-term orientation is going to be and how they're going to uh, sort of adjust on some of the more tricky or thorny uh, policy issues. Following the devastation of twin cyclones in Vanuatu, France has sent humanitarian aid from New Caledonia to help. The New Caledonian Army forces were quick to act, sending a patrol plane last Friday to look at the extent of the damage in Vanuatu. On Sunday, the territory's forces arrived on the cargo ship Don Trocasto in the capital Port Vila. A supplies ship is also delivering supplies from Port Vila to Tana and other islands. The ship will assist in road clearance, provide drinking water and give medical response. 
General of the Army Forces of New Caledonia, Valerie Potts, spoke to Jan Kohut and says the structural damage on Tanner Island has been fairly minimal. How is the situation in Vanuatu and what is the extent of the damage in Port Vila and also in Tana and other regions? French detriment uh, has been now in, uh, in Vanuatu for uh, three days. Uh, French ship arrived in Port Vila on a Sunday morning. Uh, they are currently deployed in Tana. Uh, with uh, an army detachment uh, deployed uh, on the ground in Tana. Partly damaged, roofs have been uh, wiped out in some cases. I know that uh, the Vanuatu authorities had also expressed their concern about power, uh, but they, it seems that it has been uh, uh, put in, back in place. Uh, and water uh, uh, supply also was a, was a concern. I have no mm, the precise idea of today since we are not in charge of this assessment, but rather uh, the French uh, detachment over there is to answer to uh, the Vanuatu authorities uh, through the National Disaster Management Office, which is to say what kind of mission, what kind of uh, engagement the different uh, French elements uh, could uh, undertake in the, the conditions uh, they, they face today. The French uh, elements, uh, as of today, are one supply ship with porting resources, including New Zealand humanitarian uh, head uh, resources uh, from uh, Port Vila to uh, Tana or to other islands in the archipelago. There is one French army detachment, engineers, that can uh, that are deployed to Tana to uh, restore viability of uh, roads and and different taxis on the island. There is also one helicopter, one maneuver helicopter that has been deployed last night, and uh, which is in Port Vila, ready to uh, to transport uh, either uh, resources or uh, authorities from Vanuatu on their request so as they could have liaison or assessment of uh, situation in some uh, islands. Uh, and that's it uh, for, the, uh, for the current detachment being present. I must say also that uh, apart from the three uh, reconnaissances that I've already mentioned, there had been uh, two uh, air transport uh, flights to bring some uh, resources, such as uh, food, but also electricity uh, power specialist coming from uh, New Caledonia, coming from the Caledonian uh, company of uh, electricity, which uh, deployed to Vanuatu to help Vanuatu authorities to uh, restore the power uh, system in Port Vila. So this is uh, mainly the the broad uh, image of the the deployment of the French uh, elements. Uh, I would say that we are closely linked to the National Disaster Management Office of the Vanuatu government because we we are there to 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 answer to their uh, to their needs and to to the assessment they made themselves about the situation. Uh, we are also coordinated with the Caledonian uh, uh, rescuer since there is a. Uh, along with the French Army uh, detachment, there is a, uh, a detachment from the uh, territorial, from the Caledonian uh, uh, Crisis Response uh, Service. 
And we are also, and this is very important uh, uh, from my point of view as a, a French forces commander in New Caledonia, there is also a very good and deep coordination with our uh, partners from the uh, uh, New Zealand Defence Force and Australian Defence Force. You know that uh, at the diplomatic level, these operations have been led under the France mechanism, this mechanism diplomatic mechanism of coordination as regards to humanitarian assistance and disaster relief. And uh, at the military level, we are also closely coordinated, both at the joint staff level, all the three joint staffs being uh, permanently and daily on, in, in uh, talking to each other, but also on the ground, on the ground with uh, already some uh, uh, interactions and coordination so as we could take the benefit of the assets deployed by one of those three countries. For instance, uh, the, uh, Australia and New Zealand uh, used the French ship to bring some humanitarian uh, resources to Tana. What does the Pacific do if its stocks of tuna fall because the migratory fish are choosing to be in other parts of the ocean? It's been known for some time that climate change is altering the migratory patterns of these fish stocks. Late last month, the New Zealand government provided 15.5 million US dollars for the climate science for ensuring Pacific Tuna Access Program to be administered by the Pacific Community. Deputy Prime Minister Kamau Sipoloni said the impact of climate change on tuna is a regional concern and requires a collective and coordinated response. She said this fund will provide critical support for Pacific countries to protect their economic futures. Simon Nicole is a Pacific community's principal fishery scientist and he told Don Wiseman about the work the program is undertaking. Yeah, long name, a, a little bit confusing by its title, but effectively a number of the Pacific Island countries' economies are particularly dependent on their tuna resources. All of the initial work that we've done at a basin scale suggests that there is likely to be a redistribution of tuna with movement out of the exclusive economic zones of a number of the countries into the high seas areas. What is the time span for that, Simon? It's happening now, but it's likely to start to accelerate over the next 30 to 40 years. Yeah. And New Zealand, in its, uh, I, I guess it's, its capacity to look, look into the future, has recognised a couple of things. One, as Pacific Island countries need to adjust their economies to this redistribution, they're going to need the best information available on, on how to plan for those changes and how, and how to make those adaptations. And, and so they've thrown some resources in to allow us to zoom in from the sort of basin scale to the EEZ scale so that we can be much more precise about the extent of change that is likely to occur in each of the exclusive economic zones for the Pacific Island countries. So that's primarily the work that's been done and all the intent of the work is to allow us to be able to make that much higher resolution analysis on behalf of the Pacific Island countries. But there are a number of steps that we need to do along that way and that includes strengthening up a number of the fisheries monitoring processes we have in place at the moment and ocean monitoring places, procedures in place. So making them a bit stronger so that we have the information available to, to be able to take that higher resolution zooming with a lot more accuracy. 
but also to make sure that we're skilling up our Pacific Island colleagues as well, to make sure that they're fully literate in all of the climate science that's going on. So when it comes to the various levels of negotiation that they may wish to undertake over the coming years, that they're in a position of being able to do so with authority. Okay. If you've got migrating fish going somewhere else, how do you ensure that these countries still have tuna access? They may have no access at all. Well, it's not an all or nothing scenario. So tuna will remain in the EZs of, of, of each of the countries. They just may not be as abundant as they are now. A part of the ability to zoom in is that when we look at analyses at a basin scale, our ability to understand how much habitat is precisely remaining in each EZ, so how much of the, the area still retains very, very good habitat, we're not so precise on them. So the purpose here is actually to allow us to be able to get much better estimates of how good the habitat is likely to remain within particular exclusive economic zones. So there'll be some refuge habitat that remains, and that may be sufficient to allow um, countries to still continue to achieve the same level of production and, and, and benefit they get out of tuna. In cases where it's not, it will also put them in a position where they're able to negotiate some of those access rights as fish do move out of their exclusive economic zones. I think it's worth keeping in mind that the greenhouse gas emissions that Pacific Island countries emit are, are pretty trivial, particularly in comparison to the other nations that are fishing uh, in the high seas, but also fishing in their exclusive economic zones. You look at sort of the distant water fishing nations of the EU, America, uh, Japan, China, I mean, they contribute well over 60% of the, of the carbon emissions that are relating to climate change. And so being able to quantify what those effects are and, and, and what the changes are also allow the Pacific countries to be in a position of being able to negotiate with those countries as well about what the future access rights might be. When we talk about habitat loss, we mean food for the tuna. That's right. So the distribution of tuna is, is not even across space. It is very heterogeneous across space, so very uneven. And that unevenness is derived by the amount of uh, food resources that occur in particular locations. That's a function of the primary productivity that's going on in the water along with the, the currents that um, are prevailing at the time. And so there are some scenarios where the primary productivity and the structure of those currents are likely to be only impacted in a minimal way in particular areas. And the habitat in those areas will remain quite good for tuna. And then there'll be other areas where we're seeing quite a deterioration in both that primary productivity and, and with the combination of currents. And we'll see a, a net loss in tuna habitat quality in those areas. And as I mentioned, it's really about quantifying what that process is or what those processes are and what that change is, which will allow countries to be in a stronger position to negotiate the types of outcomes they want from their tuna resource. You, you have this... I think a significant amount of money from New Zealand, isn't it? 25 million New Zealand dollars. How far will that go? It's a, a very generous offer from New Zealand. And um, in particular, what the New Zealand government has understood is that in preparation for a number of negotiations that uh, are coming up over the next or in the immediate horizon, that now sort of make or break time for a number of uh, decisions being made around climate change. And so they've resourced the region 
so that they can be well prepared for those negotiations within the next you know, two to three years, rather than be in a position of only being partially prepared as those negotiations really speed up in terms of and and you know the rubber hits the road if you like on, on those negotiations so it's a large investment but it's an investment scaled up to allow each of the countries to be in a much stronger negotiating position within the next three years it's a very dramatic situation this isn't it given the dependence that so many pacific countries do have on the the tuna fisheries how big an impact can you imagine these changes in migratory patterns having? The initial work that we have available at the moment is suggesting that we could be looking at in the order of about a $90 million loss in tuna revenue across the main tuna dependent uh, economies by 2050. So in context of the previous question that you asked before, is it a lot of money that New Zealand's put forward to try and address this? The answer is, yes, it is a substantive sum of money, but it's a substantive sum of money that's needed so that the islands are in a position, as I say, that they can negotiate for what is a, a very, very critical part of their economies. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to device on iHeart, Spotify or Apple. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Pafetai Tele Lava, Manuel Vayasu.